Welcome to the Bourbon and Browns podcast, where the size of the fish doesn't matter, but the amount of bourbon left in your flask does. Join us as we talk life, fishing, and everything in between with your hosts, Justin and Bryce. All right, what's going on, everybody? This is uh, this is gonna be episode twelve. Uh, this is long overdue, by the way. We have been slacking, slacking. <laughs> really, really long overdue. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we're back, so no need to fret. I know none of you fished in in the meantime between our last podcast and this podcast, because without our guidance. It's like the, you know, I basically, let's be honest, it's basically the blind leading the blind. It is the blind leading the blind. I was going somewhere with that, but hey, I think, I think <laughs> they got it. I think, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know, about everybody else from the Northeast here, but, uh, it's been, it's been tough trying to get out. Uh, yeah. really since I'd say, I'd say probably like mid to late September. Um, I know, I know I talked about it before, but, uh. Uh, it, it's been really tough, especially if you work the typical nine to five Monday through Friday. Um, the the rain gods have blessed us with a a ton of rain and snow and and bullshit, and it just so happens to be every Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Um, the weeks have been good, so <laughs> yeah, go figure. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it's been it's been very tough to get out, and then the water has been very high um and as you know as most of us know in these smaller pennsylvania pennsylvania creeks and rivers um when it's blown out it's blown out and the access is pretty hard to it's pretty hard to navigate those rivers to fish so um if you haven't gotten out a lot like me um where it's been very sporadic don't feel bad because i think we're all in the same boat yeah so i mean Definitely, definitely tough to get out, especially uh, as I just mentioned with the the original the, or the opening comments. You know, we're all weekend warriors and we kind of thrive for the weekend. But um, right off the top, with uh, all the high water and all the rain, I know I talked to you about this a couple of weeks back, maybe. But uh, the impacts on the river systems uh, is really probably a more positive than it is a negative. With all that, with all that water, you know, kind of flushing, um, flushing the river out. Yeah, I think so. Um, and we and we discussed it a little bit, and uh, you know, I've I've brought it up that we have a local, a local. Um, I don't even know if you can call it a fly shop. It's more, it's more a. Um, yeah, I think I think a guy just kind of, he just kind of buys a whole bunch of fly tying stuff and um, uh, sets it up on the river and you know locks it away in the shed, um, only open for a couple hours a, a day and. Uh, it's actually, I mean, it's pretty awesome. I, I love it, but, uh, I've, I've gone in there a couple of times and, and talked to the gentleman that runs it. And, uh, it's, it's bad in the short term, but it should be good in the long term. Um, obviously like the, the spawn was kind of interrupted with the, the high waters and the flooding. Um, uh, we lost a lot of fish, um, at least in my, my local waters in the Lehigh Valley, we did, but um, it should be good news 
over the next you know year or two um for the fishing to bounce back and and uh kind of almost like you're getting a new start almost are you yeah Um, no that all makes sense are you talking uh are you talking like spawning grounds yeah so okay like spawning unfortunately yeah unfortunately the uh um during the spawn was when we got the the most uh amount of rainfall Mm -hmm. and they recorded um a couple thousand fish that were killed uh because of the the flooding and then the the receding water uh basically just like stranded you know thousands of of spawning brown trout um which really sucks you know it really really sucked but um you know it's they've got to bounce back and now that we have a a surplus of water um the bugs and vegetation are starting to bounce back um you know it it should be should be pretty all right you know um should be okay just keeping our fingers crossed but um yeah it's it's looking like looking like uh you know this happens every every uh you know decade or so so now when you talk about thing. the spawn, you know, traditionally you've got the rainbows that spawn in the spring, right? March, March-ish time frame. And then mm-hmm. you've got um, the brown spawn, which is usually uh, early to late fall, depending on your region, uh, I guess, in the U.S. But so is it a little later or is it kind of, you know what I mean? Because that seems kind of interesting uh, up in PA. Is it just the browns kind of, is it, is it like a super late spawn? Is that, am I following this correctly? Yeah. So no. So up in PA, we usually have a. I, I'd say it's like, it's like October. Um, oh, okay. So, like so a, you're saying just, just all, mm-hmm. just throughout, throughout from October till now, you've just been getting flushed with this rain, and it's just really messed with everything. Yeah. I mean, okay. we, we've really been getting, we've been getting a lot of rain. I think, off the top of my head, it was the start of September, um, where we started to see a lot of rain. It's and... never stopped. It just never stopped. Yeah, yeah. It, it was uh, it was pretty um, pretty ugly. Okay. Um, so we we typically have like a a pretty I think it's a pretty average spawn. Um, yeah, it kind of kind of runs just like with the bugs, right? Like, um, uh, generally speaking, your your bugs are gonna hatch earlier on the east coast and kind of work their way back towards the west coast, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's like the general rule. Um, so, you know, if you've got, you've got like brown trout spawning here, you know, uh, mid to late September into October, you kind of run, I, I'm not sure when the browns spawn in, um, like out West, is that more like a late fall? I think it depends, but yes. Yeah. I know it coincides. Like, like general, generally speaking. You yeah. Know, yeah, speaking exactly. In, in generalities. Yeah. So. Um, makes sense and then you know same thing with like blueing olives and you know drakes and slate grays and and anything else that that's hatching it's generally earlier the more east you are and it works its way back um micro and macro yeah so um yeah we we just kind of we kind of got hit with some bullshit this year and you know we're we're struggling you know, and it's been tough, you know, like we were saying for the weekend warriors it's been real tough. Um, cause when the water's just like blown out all the time, you gotta, you gotta be able to hit it at a moment's notice. And, you know, unfortunately for us with, 
with jobs and families and shit like that, you really can't just drop everything to to go fish when the water's, you know, decent. So Right. So on that topic, um, we've obviously got a ton of rainfall uh, down here in Louisiana as well. I mean, flooding like crazy. Uh, you know, it seems like every other every other week we're getting like a torrential downpour that just blows everything out. I mean, you know, water's chocolate milk. It's it's you know tons of debris and and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was able to actually get out to Texas uh, over the New Year. And I spent like four days out there and they got some rainfall too, but it's, it's interesting. So out, out in Texas, I mean, depending on where you're at, but for, for the most part, all the rivers that I fished, you know, immediately after the rain were still crystal clear. They were just a little higher to where out here, you know, you get that rain and it's, it's like just mud. It's so yeah, bad, you, you know what I mean? Like, and the bass just can't find, you know, your fly. And so, and nor is it really safe to be waiting out there. You're like, you know, you don't know the depths or, or anything like that. So I tried my hand at some, uh, some bass out in Texas, uh, mostly in the Austin area. And, uh, it was, it was a little humbling. I'm not going to lie. Like these, the spots I went to, you know, to traditionally, uh, produce, you know, tons of bass. There's just tons of bass in there, but you know, the winter time is, is a very difficult time to, to target bass just, you know, for the same reasons, you know, targeting trout's a little bit more difficult, just less active. You know what I mean? You have to be a little bit slower with your presentations, uh, smaller presentations, things like that, that traditionally as a, you know, as a bass angler, you're like trying to find the biggest, meatiest, most movement thing you can find, you know what I mean? To, oh, to yeah. coerce them into, into striking. But, um, yeah, one of the things that really helped us out. I mean, we didn't do great by any means. I was fishing with my brother, but, uh, just kind of like, you know, just, just really slow presentations and, and smaller. So like, instead of, you know, a three to four inch articulated streamer, you know, we're throwing like, you know, an inch, two inch woolly buggers, like real small, um, you know, leech type stuff, uh, to try to, to try to get these bass to eat and you're really not stripping it fast. You're kind of letting it sit on bottom and you're kind of just working it, you know, almost like a jig, just kind of little twitches, a little bit of movement and, uh, and really, you know, allowing them not to expend a ton of energy to go get that fly is really the key. And, you know, at points, you know, even suspending it under, um, an indicator, you know, not actually truly stripping the streamer. You're actually just barely suspending it off the bottom and kind of letting it kick around, you know, in the, in the, in the slow water. So it's tough, man. I feel you. I don't have any trout in this neck of the woods, but it's yeah. having, <laughs> it's having a big impact on the bass fishing as well. You know, like the lakes are blown out, you know, the bass fishermen can't get around cause there's, there's logs and stuff out in the water and it's just tough, you know, with a fly, you, you know, you can't really replicate what a rattle trap can, you know, on a fly rod because, you don't have as much movement and vibration on a fly as you do like, you know, something that's been engineered with, you know, rattles and, and, and you know, paddles to displace water and stuff like that. So, you know, ba- traditional conventional bass fishermen will, will typically be able to, f- you know, fish in those, in those murkier conditions, if you will, because, you know, the bass can still come find the fly, but, or well, the, the lure, I guess. But, for, but as a fly fisherman, it kind of, it kind of kills you. You're kind of, there's just there's just not much you can do to to, yeah, to get them ham- on your fly. You're uh you're hamstrung by the capabilities of a fly rod. Exactly. You know. Um so 
but but it presents presents some challenges to work around um i'd be interested to see like um yeah just i'm just thinking off the top of my head like i've i've experimented with like kind of almost a almost a hybrid uh, when i've been um i haven't you know granted i haven't spent a whole ton of time fishing for bass with my fly rod but i i have experimented with you know maybe turning like you know like a uh um your your soft tackle you know your soft plastics and stuff um turning those into into flies essentially um and and trying to cast them and it is difficult trying to find that balance and and trying to trying to generate enough power uh behind it to to just get the get the lure out there for one and then have the correct movement on it that you're looking for um you know like, like we were saying like you're not going to get that the water displacement from the the paddles and spoons and um you know it, it's it's difficult it really is you're almost uh almost better off just trolling them if you are going to go with a fly rod and uh you know dumping them you know 10 feet out and letting letting the water take it and then going for your cast you know and it's mm-hmm. that's a it's a pain in the dick <laughs> you know it's it's not it's uh it's almost not enjoyable um because you're not fishing the way you'd like to uh because of the conditions and because of um what you're going after you know like if it wasn't murky this wouldn't be an issue um you could fish you know generally the way that you want to but when you're when you're trying to adapt you you really got to take some chances and basically slug away at it until you find something that works you know yeah, and that's kind of key what you mentioned there, like figuring out something that works. So you know, traditionally, you know, I'm I'm talking like thir- you know thirty fish days in these in these spots. You know, like with good sizable largemouth. You know, talking let's say two to four pounds. You know, on average, those are really good fish. And you know, you're out there winging it, man, for like you know hours, and it's just nothing, dude. It's just a ghost town. Like you don't see any bait fish. You don't see any crawdads. You know, no, no crustacean stuff. You know, you don't see any bass, really. You know, the couple stray dart, you know, here and there. But generally, you know, it's kind of a ghost town. They kind of migrate to the slower, deeper pools, kind of sink to the bottom, conserve energy, and, you know, hit those meals, you know, as targets of opportunity. And so what I kind of noticed was, you know, like, how can I switch this up? And so, you know, we kind of were working downstream, upstream, right, so that our, our you know, our dirty water wasn't, you know, going where we were fishing. So every, you know, all the water, we just kind of make nice slow movements up river, you know, and fish the different, you know, pools and stuff like that. But we ended up, it was kind of weird. My brother got a call. I was like, hey, man, I got, I got a jet. So I walk further up river and I, and I kind of loop back around and I'm up on the top of this like bike trail. And I'm looking down at some water that we had fished earlier in the day. And because we were fishing it from, you know, downstream, um, you know, you're not really able to see much in front of you, you know, maybe only like 10, 15 feet. So I was kind of up on this high vantage point and there was some sun and I saw like two good 20 inch large mouth, you know, kind of cruise out from this undercut bank and they were kind of out in the middle of the riffle, you know, and I was just, just kind of, you know, moving back and forth, almost like a trout would when they're nymphing. So I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm, I'm observing and I see a carp kind of move up and he, you know, he swings up and around him and kind of goes back upstream and I see these, this little pot of, you know, bass behind these two big bass. And they're kind of coming up to the surface. And they're actually eating off the surface and then coming back down, just like a trout would. Basically sipping these little dries. 
Wow. So I know. So I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And you know, I didn't see the I didn't see the big bass go up and do that. But there's a good chance that they were kind of moving back and forth, looking for you know a little bit smaller you know nymphs and stuff like that. Because you know, I did turn over a couple rocks, and there were some mayflies present on those rocks. And you know, maybe in like a size 16 or a 14. So here I'm. You know, here it's the end of the day. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm heading back to the truck. Like, wasn't really intending to fish, so I, I had on like a just a standard like slump buster, like a little mini, two inch conehead slump buster and olive. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll try to, you know, get these fish to react to kind of like an aggressive strike. So I, you know, I toss it over there, and it's pretty tight quarters, so you can't really get a good back cast. So I get it over there, and you know, as soon as it hits, they kind of swing back over to the undercut bank, and, and you know, didn't really give me a chase. And so here I'm thinking, you know, I didn't, I didn't think at the time, but I got, I got home and I was like doing some reflection, you know, on the trip. And I'm like, what, you know, what I could have done is I could have swung downstream. I could have tied on, you know, I was work, I was fishing with my glass rod. I was like, I could have tied on a dry fly leader real quick, tied on like, you know, maybe a, I don't know, just any, any big bushy, you know, dry fly imitation. And then just dropped like a pheasant tail, a size 14 or, you know, 12 pheasant tail, just, you know, two, two feet off of that. And just fished a dry dropper, so not only does it land soft, but it's also an insect, so it's not going to spook them. But then there's that little nymph cruising down, you know what I mean? And and who knows, man, might have came over and, and picked them off, because I know it works for a smallmouth, and I'm sure it works for a largemouth. But you'd have to, you know, that's what I'm saying, you got to think outside the box in the in the wintertime, because normally you throw that, that, that slump buster up there in the summer, and you rip that thing by that undercut bank, that bass is going to smash it, you know? Oh yeah, but right now, like he's, they're so wary, and it's cold, and they're not trying to expend energy. So you, you have to just change your entire, your entire approach. Um, so, <laughs> I thought the dry fly thing was was interesting. I think you know who knows they might have come up and just slurped that giant dry. You know, it's like, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the fish adapt too. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So that was kind of kind of weird, man. It's. It was new to me, you know. I, a lot of people don't pursue bass per se, you know. In the, in the winter, they kind of, kind of crush that in the summer months. But when it's all you got, you got to kind of figure out how to how to get them oh, in the yeah. winter. You got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah, so I was kind of kicking myself for not trying that out. And I texted my brother, and he's like, "Oh man, that would have been, that'd have been a pretty good idea." And I was like, "Yeah." So <laughs> next time, I guess. Hind- hindsight, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um. But yeah, so on that topic of um, stealth, and uh, you know, and we've talked a lot about uh, Euro nymphing and, and that type of setup. But um, you know, you and I just talked about it. But the uh, the mono rig, um, that essentially uh, is what you started with on your on your um, your Euro setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you want, you want me to yeah. I give you a quick rundown yeah. of it? Um, uh, where where I got it from. Um, and you know, basically how I, how I made it work and, um, how I adapted it and it kind of, uh, evolved into what I'm running today. So, um, I think for a lot of people, you know, you know a lot of people don't want to, don't want to drop the money on a new fly line, um, specifically for Euro nymphing. Um, and with that, you know, comes, you know, you want, you want ease of, ease of use and, and, and adaptability. So, you know, obviously you're probably looking at either getting a new, um, uh, what you call it, like a new, a new Arbor for your reel, you know, or an extra one to, to swap it out with your fly line. And obviously that's expensive. Um, or you're looking at a, a whole new reel, 
for that fly line. So it, it does get expensive. And when you're just starting to get into um, the Euro uh, dynamic, what, however you want to, you know, call it, whatever you want to call it, tight lining, uh, when you're looking to get into that, uh, I think the, the mono rig is, is really um, where you should start. Um, it's the cheapest way to start. And it's, you know, probably the best way to, to run a, a tight line setup um, without all of the, you know, tight lining specific equipment that you'd eventually uh, want to get. So what I did was I, I, I started doing some research. I really liked um, the idea of tight lining and Euro nymphing. And, you know, I had gotten into following Team USA fly fishing and like competitive fly fishing um, scene. And a lot of them, I mean, all of them were running this uh, style of uh, nymphing because it's really the most effective. Um, 